started. Are y'all ready? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this evening, God. Thank you for all your great and mighty blessings, God. We thank you so much for all the folks that are here tonight, Lord. I pray, Lord, as we open up your word, as we study, as we talk about the gospel in your marriage, God, I pray, number one, more than anything, God, that you would be glorified. God, I pray that for in all that we say, in all that we do, God, I pray that you would receive glory, you would receive honor, God. I pray that we, as your as your people, God, we would be uh, encouraged, we'd be edified, we'd be built up, God. This would be about disciple-making business tonight, God, where we're equipped to go out into the world tomorrow, into our families, into the communities, into our jobs, into the schools, all the places we go, God. We would be equipped to go and make disciples, because that's the commission that you've given us, God, is to go and to make disciples, telling them the good news of Christ, Lord. So I pray, Lord, as we study, as we talk tonight, God, I pray that you would be in our midst and that, God, you would be lifted on high. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity and all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so a quick recap. Last week, what did we talk about? Our marriages are to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. Wow, she just said my whole lesson just about. No, we're not going to go to that. But yes, our relationships are not there just for, for us. It's actually a logo or a type of what Christ did with the church. So it's an opportunity for us to show the world. What else did we learn? Marriage ain't about you. You heard that. Okay, that's good. Marriage is not about you. It's about somebody else. Who designed marriage? God did. We need to design it. In the beginning, right before anything ever started, God designed marriage. And he said that it was? It was real good, right? It wasn't just good. It was real good, right? The primary purpose of marriage, as we said, is to reflect God's glory. And then we talked about receiving our spouse as God's perfect gift to you, even though we're all imperfect, right? So... That was one of the things we talked about. We also talked about marriage being a covenant relationship. What's a covenant? A promise, right? Is it something that's bigger than you? When you stand and you said those marriage vows, for those of you who are married, who who were you actually talking to? Not just your spouse, but who else? God himself, right? You've invited a third party into this relationship, and now it's a permanent promise, not a contract, right? We went to Genesis chapter 2. We talked all through about how uh, God made Adam, and then he went through and in the garden, and then he created Eve. That was all the things we talked about last week. And this week, I want us to talk about something just a little bit different. Are you all ready for that? We're going to talk about the gospel in your marriage. And you say, well, what does that have to do with your marriage? It has everything to do with your marriage. If you ain't got the gospel at the center of your marriage, guess what? You're going to drift, and you're going to drift in the wrong direction. I want to, uh, before I, I actually got a couple of scriptures I interjected in here, so I'll have to go, try to go fast. Uh, Here's what, uh, from the gospel side, I want to make sure we understand. When we're saved, you know, and I'm not a good artist, I didn't take it. And I, went to, I grew up in Yaki County, we didn't have art, and that's kind of school, it was really rough, right? But this is the cross, it looks like a plus, but it's a, it's a cross, right? Can y'all see that, Jeff? Yeah, see, that's a cross, it's not a plus, right? And this is like when we get saved, right? We look at salvation, right? And we see the cross and what Jesus did for us, and we accept his free gift on the cross because of our sins, right? So here's the problem is when we go across our lifespan, and see this is when you're here, and this is when this is lifespan, right? If we're not careful, what we'll do is that cross will stay the same in our vision and in our life. And here's what should happen, right? We're gonna get into this a little bit later. But as we recognize what Christ did for us, and what did he do? He did everything for you. Amen. Everything you have is from him, right? We get real bad about this saying, oh, we have our little church and we come in here and our relationship stays almost stagnant. Ladies and gentlemen, it should not be that way. The cross should be something as we see, God did that for me? Wow. And guess what it does? 
it gets bigger and it gets bigger till this is what our only focus is about. I want you to know something. If you think a man or a woman can fulfill you, you're looking in the wrong direction. There's only one source of fulfillment that can fulfill you, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk about the gospel. Okay? Any questions about that? I didn't think so, because that's the truth, right? That's how we go about it. So, marriage. Marriage is meant to mirror the relationship of Christ and his bride, as Ms. Janet said, as we read about last week in Ephesians 5.31. Before we get to, uh, go there, let's talk a little bit about how God loves us. So can we describe some ways God's love is superior to even the best form of human love? It's unconditional. What does that mean, John? That means it doesn't predicate how you just did or what you didn't do or what you should have did or what I might have thought you should have done, right? It has nothing to do with that. It's unconditional. So do we live sometimes like we're waiting on God and he hasn't did something because we've done something wrong? You ever live like that? I grew up like that in an independent Baptist church, right? If you did the wrong thing, guess what? God's going to smite you. Something happened bad, what did I do wrong? It's not the kind of relationship we need to have. God's love is unconditional. Well, how else is God's love? What other characteristics of God's love do we have? Perfect. It's perfect, right? It's not like our love, right? Our, our love is mostly what? It's conditional, right? Our love is not perfect. How else? How did God demonstrate his love to us? Sacrificial, right? It's a love that gives and doesn't just give just a little. It keeps giving, right? That's the kind of love it is. How else, uh, what other kind of ways does God love us? Are some of the characteristics of God's love? It's everlasting. It's everlasting, enduring, right? It doesn't stop. It's, as the subject said here, it's, it's all the way across. Started in the beginning, it's going to actually never end, right? That's how God's love is. Our love, sometimes it can grow for somebody, and then it can wane, right? That's not the kind of love that God has. Any others? Merciful. merciful. That's what we need in marriage as well, right? Need somebody that's willing to be merciful towards us. Because guess what we are? We're jacked up, right? Anybody else in here like that? I, I ain't no good, folks. The more I, I see who Christ is, the more I realize who, who I am. And guess what I am? A no good, wretched sinner, right? And oftentimes, that's what we look at as in our spouse, but we don't see that in us. And when we see that in us, we're willing to, you know what, do some different things and change a little bit, okay? So, let's go to Romans chapter 5. Let's look in here and let's talk a little bit more about the gospel and your marriage. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Oh. Now, I will confess that the pastor's been preaching through Romans, and he's going to do a whole lot better job than I'm going to do tonight. If you want to go back and listen to that, I'd highly recommend it, because he goes a lot more in depth. Joel, if your phone falls off, I'm sorry. Anita, can you read Romans 5, verses 1 through 11, please, honey? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Wow. Paul really goes into some great depth and detail in Romans. In fact, from Romans 1 to the end, he goes into some great depth and detail about who we are in Christ and how God's moved throughout to the, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, through everyone. So it's amazing how he goes. When we see a therefore in Scripture, what do we think? What's it there for? Thank you. I appreciate somebody being willing to, to uh, pander to me on that one. So that tells us we should actually go back and look at chapter 4 to understand what it's there for, right? He's doing a transition telling us what's going on. So we've been justified in faith. Paul, in these verses, describes the evidence for salvation by faith alone, right? Not faith plus something. Many people today were living out of faith plus something. Faith plus I go to church. Faith plus a work. Faith plus this. I'm just telling you, if it's faith plus something that I have to do, it ain't no good. Folks, it's got to be in Christ and Christ alone. So, for the Christian, the evidences are, right off the bat, we look here, peace with God. There's only one way we can have peace with God, and that is through Jesus Christ. Amen? It's an external, objective reality. It's not internal. It's not depending on how you feel, what you think, what you're going through. No, no, no. Our peace with God is set up through Christ, an external, objective reality. Our standing in grace has been impossible by, by what? Our access to God through Christ. So before Jesus came, let's go back to the Old Testament just for a minute. What had to happen in order for people to get to the presence of God? And who could actually access the presence of God? Just, just one dude, right? And if you weren't careful, you remember the cool story where they put a rope around his thing with a little bell on it, and they're like, I don't hear from Jacob. What's going on? And they right? Because there's only one person going to access God. That's right. And it was only once a year. So now all of a sudden, through Christ, what's happened? We're granted access when? Right now. Anytime we can reach out through, to, to God through Christ to have access to him. It's an amazing thing when we contrast the Old Testament and the New Testament. So we have access to God through Christ. I want to make sure that we say that. So Christ is our mediator, right? He's that great faithful high priest who sits and makes intercession for us on a daily monthly, weekly, hourly, second-by-second basis. So, as we continue through these verses, we're going to look at, say, our hope of glory. A hope of glory that's fixed. When we talk about hope, and what do we often talk about when you hope for something? Man, I really wish when I got home, Anita would have something cooked that I want, right? Our hope is based on what? Our stomachs. Our wants. Is our hope something that we can uh, actually take faith in? Our hope, it varies all the time, right? This is not that kind of hope. This is a blessed hope that's fixed on something greater than what we think. It's fixed. It's certain. And I think it's interesting because uh, with the young adults, we've been going through, what book of, what book of the Bible we go through young adults? James. And in this same passage, he gives almost the exact same thing in James 1. He goes in here and he says, you know what? We glory in tribulations. James says what? Consider it all joy when you encounter trials, right? I mean, it's like they were talking to each other as they were writing this down, right? Or maybe it was the Holy Spirit, right? And all these things are making sure we understand. We glory in tribulations. How many tribulations have y'all gloried in recently? What's the normal thing that we say? That's not fair. 
Anybody say that? Nobody. No. Oh, y'all, you're mature. That's good, right? We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation has a purpose. It's working something out in you. What's what's what do y'all think perseverance is? Well, you have to with the question. I have to be perseverant to wait, right? Y'all are testing me. What's perseverance? To stick it out. Stick it out, right? It's a waiting session where all of a sudden your hope now is not fixed on something you can control anymore. Your hope is fixed on Christ. That's what we have to have, right? And that hope, all of a sudden, that perseverance, you know what it builds in us there? It says character. And I'm not talking about like this guy that's you know doing something crazy. That's not the kind of characters we're talking about. We're not talking about Spider-Man or something like that. No. Character. Godly character. How many people, when you look ahead of y'all in life, do y'all see people with godly character ahead of you? Is that the normal in our society today? What kind of character do we have ahead of us? What kind of example do we have ahead of us? We're supposed to have godly character. And then after that, I think it's interesting, and after character, it says what? It goes back to hope. It all ties together to build our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Note here in verse 6, it says, we were without strength. Literally, we were helpless. How many of y'all like to be helpless? Especially y'all guys. Where's Randy at? You like to be helpless, Randy? Well, I mean, you are part of the time anyway, but I'm just asking, do you like it? I don't know. If she waits on hand and foot, that'll take Nobody really wants to be helpless, right? We all want to think that we have a part in this. But in our faith, in our sins, guess what we have? We are literally helpless. There's nothing we can do apart from Christ. In the moment of our most extreme need, what does God do? He provides that for us by giving us Christ who died for us. Not because we were righteous. Not because we were deserving. Because of what? His grace, his love, right? God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Amen? So here, I want to make sure that you know here, it says we're reconciled. Through Christ, and once reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. And because of that, we can rejoice through Christ because we have been reconciled. Reconciled is repeated a time or two. So, what I did, how many of y'all ever use a dictionary? If you ain't writing a college paper, okay. I, I like to use a dictionary because you know I read words all the time. And you know what I find out and remember? I don't remember what that stands for 100%, right? It's good in a sentence, but when I break the sentence down, I'm like, what, what does that actually mean? So, I went, I went, I, I don't look at the Webster dictionary. I've got a link online to the 1828. Webster's Dictionary on the web because you know what? I don't know if y'all know this or not, but words have changed. You know, when I was a kid, somebody would say, hey, this person's gay because they're happy and all. They don't mean that anymore, right? There's lots of things that have changed. And even in the last five years, there's words that's come up. I don't even know what to mean. You know, it's like, where'd that come from? We just keep adding to it. So it's, oh, I'm, don't be like that, kid. It's, it's an acronym, right? Faithful, available, and teachable, right? Acronyms. That's not a definition. Yeah, but yeah, we all want to be that, don't we? Uh, but reconciliation. A couple of quick uh, things on that. A reconciliation is the act of reconciling parties at variance. Right? Two people that are set apart, two parties. A renewal of friendship after disagreement or enmity. In Scripture, the means by which sinners are reconciled and brought into a state of favor with God. Because what was our natural state? His enemies. And God just hates the sin and not the sinner, right? Read your Bible. God hates both of them. So, it's after natural estrangement, the atonement, 
Uh, that's what reconciliation is, right? One quick sidebar, just because when I read stuff, I don't know about y'all, but I find so much good stuff, sometimes I think I just need to write that down and show y'all something, too. Y'all all right with that? Good, because I'm going to draw it up here anyway. All right. So, oh, I want to talk about, again, we're talking about salvation, right? Yeah. I had four, I had three states, but what I'm going to do is do a fourth, because really, there is four. Ain't that a pretty box? I mean, that's, that's pretty nice, right? Nope. Okay. So, our first state here is we're going to put down... Can everybody read that? Mm -hmm. It's not a five, it's an S. Lost, right? And that's the uh, state that everybody's born in, correct? Amen? Okay, I want to make sure. I don't lie. Might be talking to the wrong crowd in here, right? Okay, so then, is this a natural thing that happens? No, it's an it's a act of God, right? It's a miracle thing that God does in people's life. And then next, oh, well, I wrote this wrong. Can y'all believe that? I'll go write it down here, right? So when we experience salvation, we are justified with God. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. God sees us through the lens of Jesus, correct? Does everybody agree with that? Okay, that's what the scriptures say. I just want to make sure y'all are in agreement with the scriptures, not me, right? Salvation, we're justified from God. What's the next thing that happens when we're in here? What's the next process we go through? Sanctification. Thank you. If you can't spell that or read that, I'm sorry. Sanctification. And how long does that take? It takes until we're done for, right? It doesn't stop, right? And this is the process that we go through for the rest. And then at the very end, does anybody know what the last part is? Glorification. Wow, somebody should be up here and I should be sitting in the back. Glorification. And that takes process when? Right. And this is through salvation, right? So we want to make sure we understand we're talking about the gospel, right? We all start here, and then there's a process that we go through. This process of sanctification should be where we start at that, seeing that cross, and then over time, it grows to where we're more and more and more like who? Jesus, Jesus right? So this is the process that we go through when we're looking at it. Let me make sure on my chart that I didn't write anything else down, right? So the first thing, we're justified. We're saved immediately from sin's penalty. The penalty of sin is death. death, right? Sanctification. We're saved progressively from sin's power. We're still doing what? Y'all have difficulty with sin? Yes. We all do, right? Over time, though, it should do what? Some of the things we should recognize, and we shouldn't be doing them anymore. And then glorification, we're saved ultimately from sin's presence. What happens there? God separates, right? So we want to make sure we understand, as we're talking about the gospel, this is where we're going. I wanted everybody to go real quick like uh, I just thought about that. I think it's 1 Corinthians. Oh, Lord help me. 1 Corinthians. Let's try. It's 14 or 15. I think it's 15. Okay, there we are. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse number 1. Oftentimes when somebody, somebody, let me ask y'all, when you say, somebody asks you, what's the gospel, what do you say, tell them? Good news. The good news? What else? Okay. Christ. Jesus? Anything else? Death, History. Burial, resurrection. Death, burial, and resurrection. History. And actually, I like that one the best. Hmm? History. History. Let's look here in the scriptures, because is that not the best way to find out what the gospel is? Mm -hmm. 
Amen. Okay, so let's look here. 15 verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren. Who's writing here? Paul is, right? And he's talking to who? The church at Corinth, right? So he's talking to believers, correct? We'll make sure we clarify that. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Here's what Paul says. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. When some ask you what the gospel is, the gospel is Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again the third day. Amen? That's the gospel. Sometimes we want to do what? When we talk to somebody about the gospel, we want to dance around it sometimes. Folks, Paul says what? I delivered you what I got. Here's what I got. Here's what, here's what Jesus told me. He was buried. He died. rose again. Amen? And why does that back it up? Because if you go back through these pages that go back before Matthew, you know what they're full of? Jesus is going to come. He's going to be born in this place. He's going to do this stuff. It backs up everything he's got to say. All we have to do is what? Read it and believe it. Act on it. Amen? All right. So marriage... Marriage in the gospel. The gospel in your marriage is a great logo for Christ and the church, right? We talked about this a little bit uh, all around us, right? All around us, what do we see? We see logos. I would say, Joel, what's on yours, but I don't want to give that thing any recognition. But all around us, we see, I've even repping Vade Nutrition. I don't even know what they are, but I got it. I think I got it at the Goodwill for a dollar, right? <laughs> we all rep stuff all the times, right? Our marriage should rep who? It should be a picture of what God did for us at the cross. That's what marriage should be, right? We have all these logos all around us, right? Marriage is a logo for the world to see God's relationship to his people, how he served and sacrificed for his bride, and we should model that truth into all we come into contact with. Let's real quick, like I don't know if I'm going to get done tonight. It'll be close enough. Uh, let's run over here to Philippians 2 real quick, like I don't know if I can get quick in Philippians, but we'll try our best, okay? Philippians 2. And we'll look at verses 3 through 8. Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Actually, let's back up to the beginning because just don't want to miss anything, right? Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, wow, there's a lot of ifs in there, right? I think the pastor preached about that when we talked about it on Sunday when we get into uh, the uh, Proverbs there. Same thing here. If there's any of this, right? Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look not after his own interests, but also for the interests of others. He really gets to the point right here. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But what did he do? He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and become obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And I know we're supposed to say verse 8, but I really like verse 9 too, and 10. 
Yeah, and 11. So therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Note here the contrast between ambition and conceit and esteeming others' interests more than your needs. Was Christ equal to God? Absolutely. What did he do? He submitted to the will of the Father. We said at the beginning, what? That Christ in the church is a portrait of God and Jesus, correct? We're, we're saying that, right? Our relationship as well as marriage. So there has to be somebody who's willing to do what? Submit. And there's also have to be somebody who's willing to look, look for someone's other's interest more than their own. God spelled that out in the scriptures, and we're going to get over into that scripture later on down the road, right? Christ was equal to God, but he took off the robes of glory and went all the way to the bottom of humanity. Think about it. He went to the manger. He submitted and obeyed his mom and dad on earth. Think about that. God submitting to man. Is that crazy to y'all or is that just me? Whenever I think about the incarnation and that, it, it sort of makes my brain go just a little bit, right? Do we have the same mindset in marriage? Let's not talk about should. No, 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 no. Do we have that? Do we have it available to us? Absolutely, because we just read it, correct? We have that mind that we can have, right? Let's uh, skip over here real quick like Ephesians 4. And I've only got one or two more, and then I, I promise we'll get done for small groups. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. And I'm just going to read the one. I'm not going to read all of it. I, I promise again. Oh, it says, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. What right do you have to hold forgiveness back from somebody else? How often do we live like that? You ever have somebody cut you off going down the road? Are we willing to give them forgiveness? Or do we want to, where is the law at, right? Is that not what we do? Let's cut, I mean, let's get right down to the bottom of it, right? Man, I get to the Chick-fil-A line and there's two things and I get to the very front one. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get in front of some people. And then all them people going in front of me, I'm like, what's, what's happening to y'all people? I mean, what's going on, right? We're very, very quick to not forgive other people. But we who've been forgiven much should do what? We should be able to forgive just certain sins against us, right? Well, I mean, that person did that, and that's the unpardonable sin, right? Are we real quick to differentiate? Hold on. What about when we get done forgiving? Do we get into the forgetting? No? Is there people still wandering around maybe that you look at and go, man, that guy right there did me wrong 27 years and six months and three days ago. But who's counting, right? We're not there, right? All right, real quick, like Psalm 103. Love, everybody always talks about love. You hear the pages turning. I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, Psalm 103, we're going to read verses 8 through 12. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Amen slow to anger and abounding in mercy. However, there's a transition. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Thank God he didn't give us what we deserve. Amen. He didn't punish us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Oh, that's some good scriptures right there. If there's something to write down and put in your pocket and at work, or if you go, like I said, if somebody cuts you off going down the road, you might pull that out and read it and go, wow, you know what? I might need to check that out a little bit more, right? We might need to memorize that a little bit. Spurgeon says this, 
All the world taste of his sparing mercy. Those who hear the gospel partake of his inviting mercy. The saints live by his saving mercy, are preserved by his upholding mercy, are cheered by his consoling mercy, and will enter heaven through his infinite and everlasting mercy. Mercy. That's a lot of mercies in there. Amen. He's not always going to strive with us. Guess what? We need to make sure we understand now is the day of salvation. Now is the time to get right with God. Now is the time to live for him. As we forgive each other through Christ, a transformation takes place as the gospel changes the way we think and the way we act. So many times we come to church and we hear what's going on, but do we live like it the next day? Do we go back to the same habit, the same attitude? Maybe I'll say that again. The same attitude that we have about who we are and where we're at. We live in a time where comparison is rampant. You know what comparison in is? It's the heart of carnality. Because somebody's either above you or they're beneath you. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt says that comparison is the thief of joy. Because you can't ever, somebody's always got a little more. You know, we, we got to make sure we understand who should we compare ourselves to? Christ. And when you get where you think you're there, come and see me or somebody. I'd love to hear more about that, right? We're never going to get to that problem, to that point. The problem here is we base our love on what we've done or not done. But God bases love on what Christ did on the cross. And that love is unstoppable, it's unshakable, it's immovable. We must aspire to have that kind of love for our spouse that's not based on how they treat us or don't treat us, what they do or don't do, but on who they are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to abbreviate here because we're almost out of time. I thought of a song in this. Uh, I'm not going to sing for y'all. I know y'all would love that. But there's an old, old hymn, and it says, O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' songs. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, where every stalk on earth a quill, and every man or every one a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole the stretch from sky to sky. We can't even tap in to the love of God that's out there. How often are we looking for it? How often are we seeking after it? Hope is something we must continually seek after. If we lose hope, we lose heart, and hardships will make us question ourselves and God. Right? Marriage cannot be the primary source of joy. It's never meant to be. Never meant to be your primary source of joy. Your primary source, that's hard to say right there. I want to say source. Your primary source of joy is who? Christ, your relationships with him. Right, And oftentimes we exchange our joy for happiness. What's some things we exchange our joy for happiness real quick like I'm going to be done? How about your church? How about your children? Your spouse? Your job? Money? Stuff? I remember, what was the little guy's, the uh, VeggieTales stuff, Mark? You remember that? Yep. Uh, we have a source of joy that's immeasurable better than all of them. Are we seeking after that? Or are we seeking after these cheap substitutes for what our real joy should be? When we understand that the gospel is the key, it unlocks God's design for marriage, and ultimately, it'll unlock your happiness in marriage as well. You must seek it through Christ and through Christ alone. Last week, I closed with hang in there, stick with it, Guess what I'm going to say again to you now? Hang in there. Stick with it. Whatever's going on today, if you journal, 
If we could all go back in time one year, we went back to, what is today? January the 18th, 2022. <clears throat> what trials were you going to do then? What was affecting your day? Hold on, let's go to December the 18th, 2022. What was getting you down then? Do you remember? So often we focus just right here. Coward can't see any further than that. We need to get our vision. It's a little different, right? Hang in there. Things will change. Keep being faithful and little. If you're faithful and little, one time, later on, might not be here. God's going to make you faithful and much. Amen? So until then, I want you to hang in there and be faithful. God notices. God cares. He knows what you're going through. Another reason we did this Bible study, this discipleship opportunity, was for us as a church to do what? Get to know each other. Right? That's what we're doing in small groups. Why? You have an opportunity to talk to somebody else that might be 10 or 20 years ahead of you in marriage. You know what they can tell you? It ain't that bad. You can do it. There might be somebody, and we should have both roles, right? Somebody that's ahead of us and somebody that's behind us. And we should turn to them and say, hey, we've been able to stick with it, and I'm a complete idiot. Look, I mean, you can do it too, right? We should be able to do that. That's the point that we have here. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll go into our small group time. Father, thank you for the gospel. God, it's the only hope that we have. God, there's nothing on this earth that's here that we've done that's around God that's going to stand the test of time. Only the gospel. God, I pray, Lord, that we would live that gospel out in our marriage. We'd live it out in our jobs. God, it would be the mantra of our lips when we get up in the morning. Wherever we go, God, we talk about how you, well, where you died for our sins, you were buried, and you rose again. God, it should be the song on our lips. It should be all that we have, all that we go, God. And when we have troubles, God, I pray we would turn to you. We wouldn't turn to somebody else. We wouldn't turn to Oprah or Dr. Phil, all these other people. God, even some people around us. We'd turn to you, God. And God, we would hear from heaven. We'd hear from your word. And God, we would be changed. God, I pray that we would be here, not just hearers of the word, but I pray tonight, God, we'd be doers of the word. And I pray, God, that you would just be uplifted in this small group time. I pray that people would be able to, to share, to understand, Lord, to, uh, again, commit to working on their marriage. God, commit to being the spouse, God, that uh, their other spouse deserves to be. For some of these young adults, Lord, that aren't married, to pray in for that future spouse that you have in store for them, for them to develop into the man or woman that you've got for them to be. And God, we just want to give you praise and glory for all that you say and all that you do. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right.